I'm Nicole Antoinette, and this is Real Talk Radio, a podcast filled with honest conversations about everything. Today's episode is part of our new series called But How Though, where I ask people that exact question, how? How do you get out of debt? How do you change careers? How do you stop comparing yourself to people on the internet? How do you have more fulfilling sex? build stronger friendships, decide whether or not to have kids. Each episode of this series explores a different question like that with a different featured guest, someone who is oh so bravely joining me to share the ups and downs of how they've managed to close the gap between what they say they want and what they actually do. Speaking of the how, let's talk for a second about how this show gets made, because behind the scenes, our podcast does things pretty differently in a few ways. First, We are 100% listener-funded with no ads or sponsors. And also, all of our guests get paid, and higher rates are always paid to our guests of color, as well as our queer and trans guests and others with traditionally marginalized identities. The funding to create this show and pay all the guests comes entirely from our Patreon community, which operates on a shame-free sliding scale that allows each community member to support from within their own means. Tons of fun stuff happens over in that community. I host live workshops, share exclusive bonus episodes, and lots more. And no matter where on the sliding scale your monthly pledge falls, you still get access to all of the same events and bonuses. So if you love this show, and if you want to make a real-time vote with your dollars to help keep it going, all while meeting the wonderful, like-minded people who are already in our community, spoiler alert, they're the best, you can come and join us over at patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. That's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. We'd love to have you. And now, on to the show. All right, friends, here we go. I am joined today by Dan Lin, who's here to talk about how they navigate hard conversations. I'm so glad you're here, Dan. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. So to get us started, I would love for you to introduce yourself, who you are, what you do, what you love. Basically, what are a few things that we should know about Dan? Oh boy. Um, okay. Well, okay. So I am a gender fluid, autistic, uh, Mexican American community facilitator and relationship consultant. Um, I live in Portland, Oregon currently, but I'm from Los Angeles. Um, I love my dog. I love animals of all kinds. I'm just a, a, you know, one of those people who who prefers animals, often the company of animals, especially on a day like today, uh, which is, you know, election day. So a lot of comfort there. Um, I'm a Taurus son. I feel like that's important to say. Like I've only kind of recently gotten comfortable with like all of the ways that that shows up in my life. And I'm trying to like talk about it more and get and kind of learn a little bit more about it. I think it's, I think it's a pretty good uh, way to look at me. Also a cancer moon and uh, Capricorn rising. So if you're familiar with those, that might give you a little insight as to who I am. Um, Yeah, I, I really got into this work, uh, community facilitating um, and, and working with people through uh, interpersonal relationships um, from working in retail for you know, 14 years. I've been working in retail since I was 15, um, across a lot of different industries. And, um, yeah, I just learned firsthand about, 
you know, the ways that white supremacy culture and uh, just our culture of domination uh, really shows up and scourges workers and customers and, you know, just people all throughout organizations and and businesses. So, um, you know, I started working at this local coffee roaster here in Portland, and they really touted themselves as very progressive and uh, kind of on the cutting edge of sustainability. They were really communicative about their values, that sort of thing. And I started trying to incorporate my, at that time, what was just kind of like a passion project, which was you know, accessibility specifically for people of size, but also, you know, for people with disabilities and who have mobility devices and, um, you know, people who are pregnant, that sort of things. Often, you know, retail and public spaces just are not, you know, created thoughtfully. You know, you can slap a all are welcome sticker on the window, uh, but if the space was not created with, you know, all all kinds of folks in mind from all kinds of experiences, then that is really clear. Um, so I uh, started investing some time and energy into educating within that space. They allowed me to kind of put together a panel um, where I got to bring together some local fat activists uh, from here in Portland. Uh, so I brought, you know, Shiloh George, S.J. Thompson, Carrie Fuentes, and, and they, you know, spoke about all sorts of things from infrastructure structure and, um, you know, seating options and tables and that sort of thing to company culture and diet culture. It was really amazing. And um, unfortunately, uh, it became clear that they were not ready to kind of examine their the internal company culture that was really getting in the way of their uh, kind of big, big values. And um, yeah, so I started putting the wheels in motion to start Do Better Consulting. Um, and so, yeah, I started that uh, last year in 2019. I've been hosting um, public and private workshops um, around accessibility. And then um, that really kind of became a stepping stone. And I mean, everything is connected, right? So as I continued to learn more about all, you know, intersecting oppression and privilege and the nuances and complexities of being a human in this world today, you know, that I really found a love for, yeah, working with people to build skills around relationships. And, and, and I, you know, I'm coming from also a lot of just a real complicated <laughs> kind of tumultuous childhood. And so, you know, it hit real close to home and I just kept meeting people who were also hungry for better connections and more transparency and being able to show up as themselves, you know, with all the the quote unquote good or bad or complicated and messy, you know. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how I how I got started. Um and I love it. Like every day I'm so excited to get up and do this work, you know, even with this election and all of the stress and violence and everything that's going on, I still feel excited um, about what I get to put into the world. Mm, that's so beautiful. I didn't realize that you had started this so recently. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I know it's, it's a. Uh, I, I find that um, kind of funny myself. I'm like, even looking back right now, twelve months ago, I'm like, wow, this was, 
you know, not that long after I had just started my business, I'm pretty proud of myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you should be, right? It's it's a good reminder sometimes that like a year is and isn't a long time. Like a lot really can happen, you know. Right. And I really appreciate what you said about uh, it's one thing to, you know, put the all are welcome here sticker in, on, mm-hmm. uh, on the door or whatever, you know, someone's version of that is, you know, in, in a brick and mortar online situation and the difference between that and actually how the values are practiced. One of the things that I think about a lot personally and in my work is this idea of like, how do we close the gap between what we say we want and what we actually do? And I I think about, I have traditionally thought about it from like quite a, like a personal scale, right? Like our individual behaviors and and stuff like that, what we do in our day-to-day, that definitely extends to larger values as well. Like you said, okay, is this company willing to make the changes that they have to make so that it actually supports the values? Maybe yes, maybe no. But that question of how do we close that gap is, is really interesting. And I love to hear that that's what you're working on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's been it's been really um really eye-opening and it's been you know, there's a lot that I kind of thought that I knew going into it, you know. And I, a lot of my work is based on lived experience and self-led study, which some folks, you know, feel more or less comfortable with and kind of, you know, that's that's neither here nor there to me. You know, I intentionally went into this work um, knowing that I did not want to posit myself as, yeah, that capital E expert, you know, the person that you're going to want to turn to before you turn to anyone else, because, you know, that's just not, that's not what I'm here for. I'm not here to blow anyone else out of the water. Um, I'm just here to connect with people who find this kind of work meaningful and who want to keep coming back to it uh, when they're able to, when they have the capacity to. And so I've just found kind of a, um, a small but sturdy community in that. And uh, yeah, that's, it's just, yeah, I've learned so much. I am yeah, going through all these processes and uh, myself, you know, that uh, what you're talking about, the kind of gap between the values that we say that we want to have and how we put those into practice and how those look every single day and all of our little, you know, choices here and there. Um, yeah, there's been a huge learning curve for myself as well. So I first found you through a former podcast guest, multiple-time podcast guest on the show, Melissa Fabello, whose work I adore. And the first aspect of your work that I really dug into is the weekly Q&A segment on your Instagram called Hard Talks, which, I mean, people can and should lose many hours going back through those (laughs) saved highlights. They're excellent. And that's what moved me to invite you on for this episode. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. (laughs) So in that segment, you take questions from folks about what they need help saying or communicating, and you provide really thoughtful and nuanced responses on how they might move forward. And so I'm, I'm curious to sort of start there and ask for you in creating that series, what have you found to be some of the most common barriers to having truly productive conversations, especially around tough subjects? Like what's getting in our way? Oh, uh, so many things. I think right off the top, the first thing that I thought of was just, uh, this is going to sound, okay, (laughs) I'll just say it and then I'll unpack it. It's like the impatience that that so many of us are carrying around with very good reason. That's what feels like it needs kind of unpacking is... um, you know, being the most perfectly patient person, perfect in 
air quotes, of course, is not required for repair or moving towards right relationship. But I do see how impatience shows up again and again and again, and is so inhibitive of transparent communication of, you know, being thoughtful and intentional to not just create space for, for other people to show up authentically, but also for ourselves. Um, like I'm talking about, like I, like I said before, all those kind of messy and complicated, incomplete feelings, you know, the, the things that we classify as quote unquote bad. So, and, and yeah, again, I want to say it's for very good reason. You know, many of us are surviving, um, you know, a lifetime of consent violations and um, people challenging our boundaries and um, caregivers who may have had the best of intentions, but, you know, we're, we're still imposing their values and their um, hopes on, on us. And so it makes so much sense where that's coming from. But that's what I see a lot is people kind of like, you know, want to like dump the thing. This happened. Can you believe it? You know, and they're, they're like ready to be up in arms about something that is, that is genuinely painful. And that impatience is just kind of like the, the first biggest barrier to um, unpacking and understanding how can we not just see the harm and distance ourselves from it, but, but really work towards repair and getting to those root causes so we can try to make sure it doesn't keep happening, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm going to probably ask you this a couple of times uh, while we talk, but can you give me an example, maybe an example of your own of how that impatience might show up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I would say, I I tend to be like a very impatient person. I am autistic and I really thrive off of patterns. Um I am good at noticing patterns. I am good at kind of connecting things that feel or look or behave similarly. So I may be, you know, with somebody in this individual moment and they're speaking with me engaging with me and um, maybe they say something that for me kind of triggers a memory of I've seen a pattern like this before. And and it may just be even the one, like one single instance, one single word or phrase or something. So it doesn't actually have to be a succession of action. But for me, I all of a sudden become like, hyper vigilant and I'm like looking for the next step in that pattern to go ahead and affirm what I know usually comes after that. Does that make sense? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So while that is a very human thing, you know, as we're we're constantly taking in information, so our brains can't possibly, you know, just take in content, 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 and hold it all individually. You know, we only have so much capacity. So, so, you know, our, our, our minds and our bodies try to kind of shorten these things and, um, give us quick and useful information to us that says, Hey, the last time this happened, you, your safety was threatened or, you know, you, you were put in a bad spot. You don't want that to happen again. So then my guard goes up in that direction. It, it makes sense. It totally, totally makes sense. And I really have to 
work to name that because as I've learned in relationships, I can get ahead of myself so quickly and get ahead of the relationship so quickly. So without this person even knowing it, I am like starting to sort of like build this mold around our conversation. Like, oh, I know how this is going to go. I know what this is going to look like. And, and again, that doesn't exactly leave room for people to, um, to be different, to, to change, to fluctuate, even in the context of one conversation, which is so huge because again, as many of us are surviving trauma, um, and surviving consent violations and these kinds of things, we've been kind of corralled to like singular ideas of who we are and more more often who we are to somebody else and i think for me healing really comes from being given just abundant permission being allowed to expand does that answer your question yeah yeah <laughs> that, yeah yeah, definitely. I mean, well, as much as there can be an answer, right? Like right. it's, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm interested in kind of digging in. I think what you said about the tendency to get ahead of the relationship, I don't know that I've ever heard it phrased that way before, but I had this like immediate spark of recognition with that. This almost like the way I can think about it in my own life and relationships is there's been so many times where I have hesitated starting what I fear will be a hard conversation because I'm already convinced that I know mm. what the other person's reaction is going to mm-hmm. be, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, I, it's almost like you've played the whole thing out and the other person hasn't been any part of that. Well, then I'm going to say this and they're going to say this, or I know that they think this way, or this isn't going to go well because, and you almost like write the whole script on your own. And the times when I have done that, it's, I mean, I think it's it's partially uh, like a self-protective mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. Wanting to think through all of those things. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But I've noticed that when I come to a conversation, having already done that, it's like we're not starting the conversation at the same place. I have assumed so much about their intentions or their needs or their boundaries that we haven't ever talked about. And then it it almost ensures that the conversation isn't going to go well because I've sort of already decided how it's going to go, if that makes sense. Yes, I so relate to that. It's it's not like for me it's not even that it's um it's not going to go well. It's just like guaranteed to not go how I planned because I planned it in isolation according to all my assumptions and biases and you know predictive patterns and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, I'm I'm like sitting here in this vacuum like okay, so then they'll they'll probably say this and I have very good reasons for assuming why. Um but but humans are unpredictable. We are different from day to day. And everything I know about somebody, while that is really valid, um, like a person can show up and be completely different based on whatever's going on in their day, like where whatever place they're in in their healing process. So that's what I've noticed so much for me is that it's like, because I, I um, again, really leaning on those patterns um, for myself and knowing that that's a tendency that I have, um, that it just helps me feel like more stable in communication. So it's it's something that I value. And then I also have to, um, you know, be aware of it and also name it because then it shows up in these conversations and I'm sitting there getting disappointed as to why my plan isn't playing out because it was a really good plan. You know, I had thought ahead for all of these um, contingencies and then this, this human person comes and shows up 
as themselves, maybe with other things going on that I couldn't have anticipated. Um, it's just so unfair for me to be like, oh, how dare you step out of the line? I'm, I made us this very nice mold here. Like, I thought we were going to have a great conversation. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, like, keeping with this, I guess, for another second, is there anything that you find that helps you when you're in that sort of inpatient place or you've gone three steps ahead of where, mm. you know, the relationship of the conversation is? I think, you know, part of what I'm curious as we start to talk about things is hearing about some examples of, you know, things from your own life. And, you know, obviously I can share some of mine and then I'm really curious, not necessarily for like solutions or fixes because it doesn't need to be that um, like black and white or that, you know, I guess like solution oriented, but I do think, and it's obviously like very clear from engaging with your work that you have learned things that are at least useful starting points, you know, to share like resources and tools and stuff. And as much as we can get into that, I feel like would be really helpful for me and helpful for folks listening. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, I practice transparency as like, you know, probably that's probably like my biggest tool to combat all of the sort of social conditioning that I have to like appear or be or behave or speak, quote unquote, perfectly. You know, there's like this really intense pressure that in order to have what you're saying validated, to even be able to need or want or have the boundaries that you have um, and to have them be upheld by others and honored and respected, that you have to sort of like prove your competence, again, in air quotes. And so I really try to combat resist that. I feel like that is such a just false idea that we have that we have that like a person's thoughts needs opinions boundaries are only valid if they can like prove their competence i think that's so unfair and does not at all account for all of the context and the the nuance of of what we go through literally from like minute to minute. So yeah, one of my biggest tools is just transparency. So say I'm in a conversation with somebody and I'm getting like three steps ahead and I can see this pattern starting to play out. I, at the next like available pause <laughs> or, or I might like literally raise my hand and just be like, I'm so sorry. Can you rewind and just re-say that for me? Because I was getting lost in my train of thought, you know, and my train of thought being like, you know, why did they just say that? That wasn't what I thought they were going to say and whatever. And so I, and, and it really does, it gets in the way of me actively listening to them. And I, and I fall into that, you know, trap that so many of us do where you're really just listening to insert your opinion, to insert your um, critique to insert your question that you think is going to break down all of this that you didn't plan for, all of this that you didn't understand. And so, yeah, I want to be able to offer that to people. That's something that I want. That's another thing. That's probably another tool or um, uh, something that I try to ask myself in the middle of the conversation is when I'm about to say something like, oh, this happens all the time, at the end of a conversation saying like, well, I'm going to let you go now. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, I'm the one saying this. Why don't I say I want to go? I'm full. I've, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm really, you know, 
I'm hungry right now. I'd like to step away and go eat and get off the phone right now or whatever. But like, even just that level of transparency, that's not pushing your needs onto somebody else. And like, oh, for your benefit, I'm I'm just going to go ahead and let you go. I know that it sounds so small, but over time, I've just noticed my ability to, you know, own and name all kinds of little needs throughout conversations, you know, again, coming back to the, the autism thing, like I can't just often sit down in a conversation and just, you know, shut the world out. You know, I, I need to have kind of other things I'm working on. I I have other needs. I, um, oftentimes like eye contact is hard for me and all, and that kind of stuff. So, so now I can own that and and I can say, I want to hear you. And I also want you to know that I can hear a little bit better when I am, you know, flipping through this magazine, when I'm looking at my phone and I want you to know that I, like, I understand that that could be distracting. And so I really want to know if you feel okay with this or like what we could do to compromise. So just like inviting people into your process. I I just feel like we've developed so much shame for all of these very natural and normal ways that we just cope. You know, we're coping throughout the day. As I was talking about before, you know, we have this fluctuating capacity. My bandwidth changes. uh, Like, like, uh, I also have chronic pain. And so, you know, morning Dan is a very different Dan than afternoon Dan. So I've found just a lot of peace, a lot of patience, um, a lot of collaboration, all these things that are really important to my values in bringing others into my process instead of just being, you know, assuming like, oh, it's really like, it's so rude to not make eye contact. Well, you know, in this context, not making eye contact is, is going to actually help me listen better. So what if I just loop them into that need of mine? Ah, <sighs> yeah. I So I'm like furiously taking notes as you're talking. I'm already like, yep, <laughs> yep, yep, to this, this idea of, it's, it's funny, it sounds so simple when you describe these things. And perhaps like the thing that I keep coming up with, you know, with this idea of hard conversations is maybe it is simple, but just because something's simple doesn't mean that it's easy. And I think sometimes the disconnect for me lives in that space of, you know, being transparent, naming your needs, naming your, you know, what's happening, all of the things that you just said, inviting people into your process, like those things seem so simple, almost like too simple to be effective. And yet they are the things that are effective. Oftentimes the simple answer is the, you know, most supportive answer. It's just that that doesn't mean that it's easy, right? Just because it's it might be simple to say, oh, you know, what, whatever, like using the example that you said about eye contact, right? Like just mm-hmm. speaking up for yourself and saying it, that might be simple, but it might not feel easy. Okay, well, what are they going to think and how is this going to be perceived? And I think that that could apply to lots of other examples as well. It's like, it's all the other stuff. There's like the thing and then there's what we make the thing mean or what we think that the thing means or all the stories that we layer on top of like why we couldn't possibly just be transparent, right? Or just like ask for what we need. And there, for me already, I know we're only like a little bit into this conversation. I feel like that is such a useful takeaway of like step back. What would happen if I were just willing to be 
transparent and just like name what's going on here or name what my experience is or, hey, could you repeat that? Or, hey, I got distracted or I got three steps ahead or (laughs) I don't know. I know I'm just like repeating back everything you said less eloquently than you said it, but I'm feeling very, very supported by (laughs) all of these tools. No, I actually, I think that's so good. And I I really appreciate you reflecting back to me because in your reflection of sometimes it's something that seems very simple, but it's very potent. I'm thinking, yes, you've reminded me of another piece, which is saying what you mean and meaning what you say, which is just like, not the first time somebody has ever said this. Um, I think a lot of us think that we're saying what we mean, but we're really we're trying to communicate our our feelings through these words without naming our feelings. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. G- can you give me an example though? Yes, yeah. Um, oh, it's like the difference between like a casual no, uh, like a no, thank you. Like, actually, I, I, I don't really feel like going for a walk today, but thank you so much for inviting me. It's the difference between that and a like a curt kind of no. The difference being if you're wanting to communicate to this person, I am... I'm upset that you asked me that when you know that I'm busy doing something else. I'm, I, uh, that, that is what, we're, what we mean, but what we say is no. And you want to say it in such a way with just the slightest hint of attitude that it, it lets them know that something is wrong, <laughs> that they have misstepped, but that kind of alleviates the responsibility <laughs> that we have to, to let people know when, when we feel like, you know, a boundary has been crossed or when we've been harmed or when we wish somebody had considered our, our circumstances or something. So I really like to use the example of like asking a question. So yes, we are in this kind of hellish, you know, moment in history that's also really transformative and powerful uh, with the uprisings for Black lives. Uh, I live in the Pacific Northwest and, um, you know, was it like a month ago or something, we had these like horrendous fires. And amidst the, you know, political chaos, the the protests, the uprisings, etc., I had all these people who were checking in with me and like, are you okay? Are you okay? Because it was just you couldn't step outside. I couldn't even take my trash out. It was so scary, (laughs) like very, very on top of everything else. And I just felt so drained by those questions. I'm I'm sure so many people know what I'm talking about. Um, it like (laughs) checking in on your friends has become like a little bit more stressful these days. But when I'm saying, say what you mean, mean what you say, my question to you is, is the, is the, the question you really want answered, am I okay? Or are you wanting to communicate to me that you care about me and you know this might be an overwhelming time and you're, you would love to hold space to hear me if processing feels good? Do you know what I'm saying? Mm, There's a real yeah. difference. There's a real difference. There's, do you want to know, am I okay? Or do you want to know, how can I support you? Do you want to know, am I okay? Or do you want to know if... Uh, you know, you could, you could send me a little cash so I can order some food and and not have to worry about cooking or, you know, all of these things. It's just requires a little bit more intention. And yeah, it's just, it's so simple. It's so basic, but putting a little bit of like thought into it, bringing it to the forefront of our awareness can really help 
to transform these relationships, you know, and, and yeah, just build bridges to transparency and directness, um, in ways that, that, that we're often not taught how to do. Yeah. 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 That's again, the good reminder of what are you actually asking, right? Or what is the purpose of this communication as I think it's, it's really natural to default into whatever our scripts are for different social Mm -hmm. situations or different relationships. And I don't know that that's always a bad thing, but I think your point of, yeah, you're thinking about someone, you're checking in with them, the, how are you? Are you okay? That's often, I don't think think that's a malicious question, right? It's like, but okay, Mm -hmm. what are you actually asking here? And, you know, I have found that the more specific I can be in my communication, the more fulfilling that communication is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Another another thing that I'm thinking about is being intentional about tending to the responsibility that each of us has over the environment we create. And what I mean by that is, um, for example, I, I speak with a lot of people, a lot of people kind of come to hard talks and they're they're like, whenever I hear a no, it's really hard for me, but I really want my friends to be able to tell me no when it's genuinely how they feel. And 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 so there's this piece of like being transparent and naming naming what is ours and what we're bringing to the table. And that is already so powerful and flies in the face of so much that we're conditioned to, again, with these white supremacist cultural norms. That's so important. And also, when we invest in coming up with creative solutions, we're like, we are demonstrating to our people, hey, I, I'm I'm responsible for this environment that that I'm creating. It's not just that I say, hey, um, I know that I get a little sensitive to rejection. It feels like rejection to me when you say a casual no, even if it's you know for something small. But being mindful to check in about that, and uh, you know, so let's say somebody is really sensitive to that, and and their friend says, hey, do you want to go for a walk? And they say, oh no, I I, I don't really want to. And then the friend is feeling sensitive about receiving that. They can circle back, you know, not necessarily right in that moment and just say, hey, I know that I was feeling a little bit, uh, that I can kind of be a little bit uncomfortable. I can be a little cold when I hear a no. And I'm just wondering how that landed with you, you know, and, and just, yeah, that demonstration of like, hey, it's not enough for me to say this and expect you to then, you know, ascend the hill and meet me where I'm at. I'm going to try to meet you in the middle. I'm going to try to um, create an opportunity for us to just circle back and make sure that there's nothing that came up, you know, about that, Mm -hmm. around that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to talk more about this idea of saying and hearing no, because I think that, I mean, maybe I'm just assuming that uh, that's something that everyone experiences at least some difficulty with, maybe, you know, more so at different times than others. But can you share anything, maybe even just one thing that's been useful for you in saying no more confidently or just in a way that feels better for you? And then also, like you said, in being able to receive a no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely practicing with a trusted friend. So this is like, 
something that I've talked about a lot over on my Instagram account. I um, kind of encourage folks to like play a little game, you know, with with somebody who you can speak to about your intentions and say, hey, I want to practice this. This is something I'm interested in incorporating into our relationship. This matters to me. It's important to me. Do you want to do this? Right. So we start out with consent always. Um, and And also like, again, being transparent about our intent. And then literally just practice saying no, even asking for things that you're like, it's okay. Like I I don't need this. Hey, can I have a glass of water? And, and then when your friend says no, because you have set this intention together, thank them, thank them for their no and say, I really appreciate you being honest with me. No problem. Because we are so often encouraged and celebrated for self-sacrificing yeses. You know, if, if you're, uh, if you work double shifts and you come home and you do the laundry and you make a big meal and, you know, you clean the house and, and everybody's like, Oh my God, there's just no end to the giving. It's just, and we see this over and over again, sort of like this martyr or this, um, just this person who lives to serve their people. And while maybe some of us, uh, you know, truly find comfort in that. And so I'm not saying that it's across the board wrong. I am curious about how that has impacted our ability to access a no in our body, you know, because it's not just, do I want this or do I not want this? Often we have, we think that it's a choice between caring for our friend and not caring for our friend. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, really being intentional to thank the person who said no. Oh my gosh, I cannot tell you how this has transformed my life. I say no's like it's like I'm handing out popsicles and it's so good. It feels so wonderful for somebody to say that. And it, it sounded, it felt silly at first, right? Like it, it was like, thank you for your no. And we, you know, we kind of laughed about it and we're like, oh, what a nerd, you know? But it was like, no, this is this is the stuff. Over time, it became second nature. And I found myself saying thank you to a no, like before anything else. And it felt so amazing. It, yeah, that has been definitely <laughs> my biggest help with, uh, with learning to feel more comfortable in that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm very interested in my, within myself, hearing you say that it's interesting to experience the resistance or even potentially the judgment that I have of, you know, the, oh, I have to practice, right? Like there's, there's some like judgment that I have about, and yet I don't know why, because it's totally seems totally normal to me to practice many other things. I don't just like assume I'm going to be able to speak Italian because I decide to speak Italian or to learn a new skill it, in my business or any of these other things. Like practice is really normalized for certain things. And it's then there's these other things like communication, like saying and receiving a no that we're just supposed to magically be good at. And yet to your point, there's so much conditioning around that. There's so much people pleasing. There's so much of that like worthiness issue and that it's so much more complicated. And yet what I think I'm too good to practice that. Like I could practice other things, but not that like, it's, I don't know. It's just interesting because I feel like that reminder that it's, it's not a light switch. You're not just going to get 
necessarily like be better at something because you just flip the switch and now I can receive a no and I never have any defensiveness or resentment or rejection hurt feelings. Like, of course not. And so that idea to bring practice and even the way that you were describing it, it felt light to me and a little bit playful. And Mm -hmm. that's really welcome as well, because like you said, it can be really hard to hear no or to feel rejection if that's something that you're really sensitive to. And so being able to practice it in a way that's safe and that's lighter, like, why would I not do that? I just had never thought about it that way before. Right, right. It's, it's, I I totally see what you're saying. It's like this, this way that we've been conditioned to think that you know, again, coming back to the societal pressures to appear competent, I feel like a huge piece of that is appearing perfect and appearing like everything is effortless to you. Do you know what I mean? That, that, that supposedly communicates competence. Well, for those of us who are, um, you know, not societally celebrated and supported, um, those of us who with multiple marginalizations, so much of the world was not created for us with us in mind, um, with any, thought to the barriers and the harm, the intergenerational trauma, et cetera, that many of us are carrying with us. So, so this idea of like this effortlessness is like so silly and it's such a product of white supremacy because the only people who think that life can be that effortless are the, effortless are the people who, you know, are, are not experiencing these barriers in, in tiny and large ways, just constantly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This idea of practice is interesting to me. And I'm curious if it's something that you have done in another realm of your communication. Like it makes a lot of sense, the example that you said about, you know, like the neutralizing no, right? Practicing the no. Is there anywhere else that you have found that practice of some kind has been useful? Uh, yes. Like, so, so yeah, practicing. No, that's the only one I have like my, you know, (laughs) unofficial official little game for. Um, but often like I, I, I feel kind of like in a practice most of the time. Um, I really just gobble up data it's like all very fascinating to me. I'm, I'm a very curious person. And so just practicing letting that show. And cause there's so much that I'm curious about. Uh, there's so much, you know, people have their boundaries and I'm like, why is that there? Not that you have to justify it. I'm not at all challenging it, but I'm just like curious, like why it is where it is and allowing that to show has been so powerful in just, yeah, creating like this sort of lightness in communication. Uh, also practicing to let people know that, you know, when I'm asking these questions, like my understanding does not determine their validity, you know? And, and so I, I almost, I just like say that as often as I possibly can. And, you know, I guess I should, I should like ask my friends if it's getting annoying, but for me, I'm like, I really can't ever hear enough that somebody is curious as to the why and the how, but regardless of that, they, you know, support me and are happy for me to make any choice that is right for me, you know? 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. I feel like there's some like helpful nuance there. This idea that you know someone can share something with you or say something, and you can be curious about it, and you can you know if that's welcome, ask more questions about it in in terms of deepening your own understanding. But how they feel and what their boundary is and what they're communicating is valid, regardless of whether or not you get to the same point of understanding. It's not their job to convince you to agree with them in order for them to be worthy of whatever the thing is that they've named. Right, right. It's like this assertion that variance is neutral. Again, we're just neutralizing it. There's, um, it, it can be kind of uncomfortable to be celebrated for variance even. So, so, you know, screw binaries for sure. But it's like, you know, I think, I think people often assume like there's either, uh, you either judge someone, ridicule them, tease them, bully them, or you're like, oh my gosh, you're the best person ever. That's the best choice ever. That's, and for me, anytime I've experienced that, like, like just excessive praise, it's it's always been so suspect. <laughs> I, I'm a, maybe a little suspicious kind of person, um, which I think goes back to some of the tumultuous childhood things. But it's also it's for me, it's it's almost equally uncomfortable. Like, get me off of your pedestal. Well, and, and you know, my work is rooted in transformative justice. I practice non hierarchical relationships, ethical non monogamy, relationship anarchy. So so hierarchies are a no go for me. So yeah, being like praised for this decision makes it harder to make a different decision later if my capacity has changed or my needs shift, you know? So these are all things, it's it's just, gosh, we just need to expand the ideas of what is allowed in, in our relationships. We're so used to like, if one person says yes to this, then, then this is the trajectory that we're on. Um, instead of thinking of it as just you know, a yes to this simply opens another door to all the same options over again, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'd love to ask you a couple of maybe more specific communication type questions. I feel like these are all things that could easily go into your hard talks (laughs) series. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you either have a story you want to share in response or a tool or a resource, basically however it lands for you and whatever you think that you would love to offer would be really great. Um, so the first is what have you found to be helpful navigating, like communicating with people who disagree with you? Um, the, the thing that comes into mind is maybe it's a family member or someone with whom you do still want the relationship. Cause I think in the more extreme binaries of communication, it's like, well, if you just don't have such and such the same thing in common or same value, then they're toxic and you cut them out. And I think sometimes that binary applies, but like you said, there's a lot more nuance. And so I'm interested if there's anything that you can share about communicating with people when you really have like a fundamental disagreement or difference of some values. Okay. So right off the bat, when you said that, you're like, I don't know if you have like somebody in your family, I'm like, oh gosh, that hits such a tender note for me. Right off the bat, I'm thinking that when we pause or step away from our relationships, um, you know, for healing, for uh, just space to process with somebody else who can hold and understand us the way we want to be understood, we are not abdicating our responsibility to that relationship. So pausing and stepping away from a relationship is not abandoning it. And actually... Most of the time, if I have a fundamental disagreement with somebody, I 
do not pursue relationship with them. It's not that I delete their number and close the door forever, but I give myself that permission to take this space that I need to feel safe. And safety is a huge thing for me. Again, tumultuous childhood. So I have to give myself to that safety over and over and over again, because that allows me to come back to the relationship later. And I don't, I don't tell myself that up front because I'm not trying to manipulate myself. Like, Hey, walk away now and then circle back in a week. I'm like, no, it's okay if you never come back to this. And that permission to never come back to it allows me the space to process it. And then I am usually able to come back to it having given myself the safety that I needed that that person was not originally able to provide. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Yeah, that idea of permission is interesting of like ha- how much, how I guess like how could the experience of the relationship be different if you, like you said, give yourself that internal permission? Yeah, I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, it's so much of the time I feel like, um, you know, folks are, folks are enduring real abusive dynamics and real significant challenges in their relationship. And, um, you know, they, they kind of come and they, they present it and they're like, okay, what do I do with this? And I'm like, first of all, the first thing you need to do is like, have your back here and know that the fact that you feel harmed by them, you feel, you know, unsafe around them is valid and give yourself what you need. Like what you need right now is not to be diving back in trying to like force understanding, you know, set, give yourself a little space to figure out some boundaries so that you can come back thoughtfully if that should feel okay to you. Yeah. It's almost, I know this isn't what you said, but what I'm hearing for myself between the lines here is like allowing space or more space to sit in the discomfort of something not necessarily being resolved. Like I I think it's really, right? Like really normal to have either that conflict avoidance or that real discomfort with this person's unhappy with me. I'm unhappy with them. This feels unresolved. Like really wanting to rush to a conclusion to get out of that icky feeling. And, you know, what you're saying here, I think this, I think almost more than anything that's come up so far, this is going to be something that I like think about a lot after this conversation that how could I create more space for myself? And like, can I let it be okay that I'm uncomfortable or that things maybe are in a period of not being resolved, whatever that means with, with someone else. And like you said, to step away and to be able to come back and just to allow a little bit more space as opposed to trying to bulldoze to some kind of a solution. Yes. Yes. The, the thing that really stood out to me and what you said was that rushing and, 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 you know, urgency is again, a tool of white supremacy. It is a a, a cultural norm that we have been conditioned to that is, not useful and truly, truly pumping the brakes, slowing the fuck down is the biggest thing that I I, can't, I feel like I say this with every single thing I've shared with you, but that has got to be it. Just slowing down. Like what is the, what is the rush? I know, I know, you know, we've just got this one life. Um, but trying to fit this whole arc of you know, collaboration and 
contribution and the process and the messiness and the space and the all of the things that go into you know a relationship that honors both people's boundaries and autonomy uh we try to squeeze them into these tiny little it's like arbitrary little what's the word I'm trying, like timelines, sort of an arbitrary timeline. Like we've got to, I've got to hurry up and turn this around. And I know that a lot of that um, probably has to do with our, you know, anxieties and, you know, who, who really wants to sit in uncomfortable feelings. So it totally makes sense, but it is not helping us to have sturdy and sustainable relationships. Not Mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. What about and uh, this is, I guess, like potentially a different situation than what we were just talking about. What about if you're the one who has caused harm in a relationship? Yeah, I I think, again, it's super important to name that or name our kind of feelings that, oh, I think I maybe got the sense from you that you were uncomfortable um, when I said this. And I just wanted to open up the door and say that I'd like to talk about it. So we really can't, we have to be mindful that we can't force anybody into repair. Um, And, and one of the, the, you know, major pieces of transformative justice is that we're pursuing healing and justice in meaningful ways to the person who was harmed. So if, if that person, so there's like an accountability process we can engage in with trusted people in our lives. And then there's also this kind of accountability and this repair that we need to do with the person that, that um, has been harmed, but um, that requires consent. There's just, there's no healing when there's, when consent is not honored. So if the person is like needing space, we have to be able to give them that. But as far as an accountability process, you know, again, trying to get to that root cause, where did this harm come from? Why did I lash out at them like that? Why did I do this? Um, That can happen outside, you know, kind of in, in our own, again, sturdy, sustainable relationships. And something that has been really useful to me for that is going through the pod mapping worksheet by Mia Mingus. So, and, and it might have, I can't remember if it was Mia Mingus who actually created it or if it was the Bay Area Transformative Justice Collective. But anyway, if you Google pod mapping worksheet, you know, they kind of go in and talk about how many of us have people we can turn to when we have been harmed. And very few of us have people we can turn to when we have done the harm. It takes a very specific kind of care. Um, and I mean, specifics to the person as to what it what you need to be tenderly held who you can trust to to really like reflect back to you what they're seeing and you know hold you to sturdy values without kind of imposing their ideas of who you should be. Mm. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be googling that. I feel like it, it, even as you're talking to it's making me realize that I have a craving for more of these types of relationships and structures in my life or even deepening existing relationships and almost the idea of not having to wait until something like, quote, goes wrong in order to have some of these conversations or start to establish, you know, this trust. And I think a lot about what does it mean to create like a brave environment or brave relationships. I'm trying to almost not substitute the word safe with brave, but there's 
I don't know, I guess it's not always up to me if I, am I creating a safe environment? I don't know. But this, like this idea of a brave environment or brave relationships is really interesting to me. And I'm feeling inspired by what you're sharing to have some of these conversations almost preemptively, right? Like how can we work together to create containers where this type of communication will be possible in the future? Right, right. Yeah. It's, you really nailed that on the head. Um, Mia Mingus, says, you know, forget harm and abuse. We don't even know how to handle um, miscommunications and misunderstandings amongst each, you know, ourselves, you know, and, and uh, I just, you know, attended this workshop around pod mapping that she hosted and she drew this graph um, that was kind of like this curved line that started low on the left and then curved upward to the right. And this is like, kind of demonstrating uh, harm over time, how it starts small and then in, and then steadily increases. She's asserting that 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 we need to start engaging in harm in these early stages because so many of us, you know, wait until we're talking major violations, major violence happening before we will intervene. And then at that point, we just outsource our repair to it's not even repair. We outsource our quote unquote justice to these state sanctioned systems of, you know, policing and incarceration and punishment when all along the way there's valuable lessons that we can be learning. There's repair that we can be doing so that we're not ending up with these just explosions of compounded harm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like I have so many other questions to ask you. Uh, I guess the, the last one, um, maybe that we can talk about for a couple minutes. Is anything that you have found to be useful in either starting a conversation or noting something harmful or offensive that was said, the type of communication that I've heard you refer to as disrupting work? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, like how do you how do you step in and say, hey, I know you weren't talking about me, but I I noticed this. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. So this happens a lot. For example, in my fat justice work, I am a fat person. I've been in a fat body my whole life. Oftentimes, um, people who are on you know in smaller bodies, uh, people who are thin, um, will say, you know, I, I've I've heard what you have to say. I'm all for it, and like, how do I go out and tell my other thin friends, like, stop saying that, stop using this language, whatever. And, and, and what I say every time is like, again, own what parts of that are you, you personally feel upset by. You don't, we don't need to be speaking for other people and saying, hey, if a fat person was here, that would really hurt their feelings. Like, that is not what's going to bring this person in what's going to what's going to connect this person to, as to to like why they should want to change is you, their relationship with you what have they done to you to hurt you if you are somebody who is against white stigma who sees it for the violent oppression that it is then say hey when you when you said this word about this person crossing the street it really made me feel uncomfortable i i i I really am working to to dismantle weight stigma and diet culture in my life. Um, and I'd love to be able to to bring that into our relationship too. You know, this this made me feel like I wouldn't be able to talk to you about it as or as opposed to, 
allowing that savior complex to take over, uh, that high, that like, uh, I have this, I'm on the high horse here and I am calling you out. And, um, even if you come in, in, in a gentle way, uh, people will perceive it as like, Oh, you think, you know, better, you know, if, if, if you're not connecting it to, Hey, this hurt me, this, this mm-hmm. made me uncomfortable. Yeah. And that requires the almost like <laughs> little bit of extra work or necessary extra work of why is it not okay with you when somebody says X, Y, or Z, right? Like I think it's it's easier perhaps to default into, oh, I know this isn't like an okay thing to say, so I'm going to like lean on that as opposed to your point of what is, why is this, why do I think this is harmful, right? Why is it, and like doing that work, I feel like lets you speak from, like you said, a more personal perspective that then will likely land better as well. Right. Yeah. This sort of arbitrary, we're not allowed to say that is just, just creates conditions where people can argue, argue, argue. Um, and, and, and so this is the whole, this is it, right? We're, we're building these sturdy relationships so that we can leverage them in these sorts of instances and say, Hey, I, I really want to do this with you. Can we work on this together? Um, and that's, it's powerful. It's transformational. Yeah. Oof, I think that that's beautiful. I think that's a great place for us to start to wrap up. And I wanted to ask you if you could leave folks with one maybe small call to action based on our conversation, what would it be? Either a question to ask themselves or maybe a small action to take. What would you love for folks to do after listening to this? Um, I have this quote that I want to read. Maybe that is, is that okay? Absolutely. Okay. This is from um, the workbook Fumbling Towards Repair by Shira Hassan and Mariam Kaba, um, two prominent voices in transformative justice. Thinking, organizing, and acting beyond the success-failure binary whenever possible is instructive. Messiness in a process is the norm rather than a failure. Get comfortable with this. That is just my probably one of my favorite things um it's hard to pick one thing from that book uh and i know that i don't have to but as my my biggest call to action is embrace the instructive nature of trial and error and don't expect to be perfect uh something that nicole lee says is our movements do not require perfect people people who appear perfect or people who are good at pointing out the imperfections in others. And I just really, really want to encourage folks to not expect to be experts, not expect to be the best at this and actually the trial and error. That's the shit. That's the stuff, you know? Yeah. Let it be messy. And, you know, if you don't expect yourself to be perfect, can you also allow other people to be messy and imperfect as well? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. What's the best place for people to find you and say hi? Do you have a particular favorite way to connect with new folks? Yeah, uh, I love when folks join uh, my uh, the little Instagram community we've got going on over at Do Better underscore Consulting. Um, I have a link in my bio there to you know my website and ways to connect with me. Um, I love to work with people on a one-on-one basis, um, and I do, you know, some uh, a short free consultation if anybody is curious about um, what it might look like to uh, to 
you know, work with me in that sort of um, supportive relationship. So um, yeah, yeah, that's probably the best way to, to, to find me and find out um, what I'm up to. All right. And I will put a link to your Instagram too, for sure, in the show notes. So people can just click on that. Dan, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This was amazing. Incredible. I so have appreciated your contributions and your questions. Thank you so much for having me. And that's our show for today. Our music is by Adam Day, who also handles our sound editing. Thanks, Adam. You're the best. And huge thanks as well to every single member of our Patreon community for making this honest conversation, this entire podcast, and so much of my other work, like my twice-weekly personal essay newsletter called Good Question, possible. Your monthly funding allows me to keep creating resources and gatherings for folks who crave honest conversations, both with themselves and others. And I fully believe that these conversations can change our lives, our relationships, and our world. To join us, just come on over to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. Our community operates on a shame-free sliding scale, so you can feel good about supporting this work from within your own means. So I'll see you over in the Patreon community, yeah? And until next time, I want you to know three things. First, that you are enough. Second, that you are not alone. And third, that I'm totally rooting for you. (laughs) 